We've all heard some great lawyer jokes. Trust us, we've heard them, all of them. But without sounding too adversarial, lawyers are humans too. In fact, that's the main theme of this podcast. Welcome to The Human Lawyer, the time and place where we have conversations with lawyers focusing on the intersection of the existential and the practical. Christine Yuri's current journey started with an ending, leaving a law firm she had been a part of for eight years in search of a greater purpose. After five months of soul-searching, 125-plus copies with government, education, nonprofit, and business leaders, she found NG Impact, a global consulting sustainability company. Christine is on the ESG frontier. Her in-house career has been about team building, strategic enablement, risk mitigation, and making people feel valued. She's also helped launch technologies, develop leadership programs, and find new revenue streams. Her North Star is challenging the organization to act in alignment with its values and purpose. But what is her personal North Star? In a professional sense, Christine is quick to claim good fortune of having the privilege to work in a way that feeds her heart. How does she feed her heart outside of work? And how might she continue to be her company company's culture champion in a world with a changing geopolitical climate that could increase pressure within businesses. We're fortunate to have Christine as a guest as she is someone who loves speaking about how others can contribute to business success and brand building. Let's chat. Welcome to the Human Lawyer Podcast. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for having me and for that wonderful introduction. You're welcome. My pleasure and our pleasure. Um, You know, I, I think we could go a lot of different directions. I, let's maybe start with the 125 plus coffees. Like that, I, there's probably a lot of stuff maybe you learned uh, during yeah. that season, maybe about, about yourself and kind of about all those other people. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's really interesting thinking about that time now um, because at, the, at that time it was uh, 2012 when I was doing those and, and you actually met people in person. Um, so is a, a different virtually both, um, you know, because that's more geographically limiting. So I was doing all of those within the Portland area and there, there's just a different feel to it today. But, um, you know, I, I just went on a journey because af- after the law firm, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I honestly, I didn't even know if I wanted to have a legal career anymore uh, because the, the law firm path just wasn't fitting for me. And I just started through my network that I built over the years in, in Portland and asking people to meet me, kind of in, in, informational interviews. Um, I would share a bit about myself uh, and then ask people about what they do for a living and just just try to learn. So I, um, you know, I looked at a number of different areas. I looked closely at, at nonprofits. Uh, at that point, I had been on the board of Girls Inc. of the Pacific Northwest for eight years. So I had a lot of nonprofit involvement and connections. And I wondered, you know, if that was the right direction for me. Uh, I talked to people in education, uh, particularly around uh, develop, administrative roles around developing programs and so forth. Uh, and, and business. I was really interested, particularly in business roles that were um, slanted towards community development, uh, running different uh, corporate foundations, or being on that corporate social responsibility side. Uh, and I, I had this, uh, I'd say, a, a pivotal meeting with the head of foundation uh, for Intel, which is a, an amazing corporate foundation. 
And I asked her, like, how do you how do you get your job? <laughs> that sounds really cool. How do you get your job? And uh, she told me just to find a company that really aligned with my values and find a way in the door, whatever way that is. And, you know, after that, you can chart your your own path. Uh, so I, I followed her advice and that's how I, I took my role at, at NG. And NG is a global consulting sustainability company. And I, I think the connection, there is a connection with ESG, but um, I guess maybe make that connection for sure. me and others. So NG, our parent entity is a, is a very large 60 billion euro a year headquartered in Paris. Uh, it uh, largely does energy and NG has been committed to the energy transformation. So in 2015, uh, they divested of their coal assets. They're aggr aggressively um, in implementing renewables, very much committed to uh, a carbon uh, zero world. So it's a, a very forward thinking, thinking en energy company. And within that, you know, my, my particular department is focused on consulting with your, your world's largest companies. So um, companies that have multiple sites, are in large industries, have you know, significant carbon footprints, and, and companies that are committed to getting to a net zero goal. So we help chart the path for how to get there. We will work with the C-suite at an executive level to set goals and find a roadmap that will actually achieve them. And then we can help those companies connect with resources to implement the plans, whether it's you know, on-site renewables or energy efficiency or many different, many different actions that can be taken to reduce carbon footprint. Mm. It seems like a big, hairy job. Yeah, yeah. Like, we, like, we, do, we take on big problems. Yeah, huge ones. Uh, so like, I guess like there, there to me would seem to be a lot of like interdependencies with that. Like you'd have to get a lot of people on the same page uh, aligned as they say in the business world. So is that, is that something that you get involved with or like, um, and maybe kind of in a more philosophical way, like how do you try to push or create alignment? Yeah. So it, it's an interesting question. My, my role at NG Impact is to be the, the chief sustainability and legal officer. Oh, the, the chief sustainability part, uh, what that means is I'm in charge of our own sustainability program, uh, and I'm uh, lead, leading how we walk our talk. So if we're going to uh, go out and advise our clients on how to be uh, more sustainable on how to reduce their carbon footprint, we have to do that for ourselves. So my, my job is to bring people across the company, across NG Impact uh, together to accomplish that goal. And, and uh, you know, the interesting thing about it is we face all the same challenges internally that our clients do. So our own journey becomes a, a pilot, uh, a pilot uh, for how we work with our clients. Um, and I do that through uh, a lot of relationship building. You definitely have to connect with every part of the company. You have to connect with your operations, your sales teams, your whole executive board, uh, finance. Finance can be your best friend as you're going through this, this journey, uh, HR. And so you have to find 
your champions in each area and help them be a part of creating the strategy so that everybody has ownership of it and everybody is responsible for moving it forward. Mm. That is wonderful advice. Um, what shows up fairly clearly, like in your online profile, is your passion for like a professional North Star, kind of this sustainability and kind of impact, purpose. But like it, outside of work, how, what would you say is your North Star? The things, yeah. that you, the things or people you may care about uh, the most. Yeah, I mean, outside of work, I I'm I live a pretty quiet life. Honestly, I'm not somebody who uh, climbs Mount Everest on the weekends. You know, I have I have um, you know my husband and my little Boston Terrier scooter, and we we stay at home. I spend a lot of time in our yard, uh, and I I just really take the most of making sure that that I am rested, that I have time to recuperate. And um, so I, I can show up every day and be my best self. What were you doing in private practice? Like what was your practice yeah. as they say? It's a little bit ironic. Uh, I started in litigation and my my first case was defending an Enron director. So I've, I've come a, a long way since then. Um, I was one of about 10,000 associates, at least worldwide, who, who cut their teeth on that Enron litigation because it was um, so huge. But I, I continued for a couple of years doing litigation and then changed to a transactional side uh, where I did financing, M&A, intellectual property contracts, just a whole range of transactional work. Got it. And one of the things you mentioned is you're in Portland, right? I moved to Seattle. So just yeah. last July, about a year ago, I moved to Seattle. All right. Congrats. Is that right? Congrats. Is that a good thing? Yeah, I love it. I love it. It was, I'm one of those people who just, you know, made a life change uh, as part of the pandemic. We were living uh, downtown in a small condo. Um, and before, honestly, I just traveled a ton and, and wasn't, wasn't home a lot. And then of course I was home a lot and about, you know, a year into the pandemic, it occurred to me that if I didn't change something, I was going to be working in our dining room for a very long time. So we, we decided to make a change. And uh, so now in Seattle, but uh, what I was um, thinking about was how did you get there? Because you went to law school at Boston College, as I mm -hmm. learned from the internet. And so you've, you've spanned the coast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I started out in Washington. I went, my family is up in San Juan Island, which is kind of in the middle of the, the Puget Sound, a very remote uh, I went to the Evergreen State College, which is a very small liberal arts college in Olympia, Washington. So I had Pacific Northwest roots. Uh, for law school, I just, I wanted to have a different experience. I wanted to uh, have, be part of a different culture and that, that New England East Coast area, you know, the United States is big and it's diverse and each of its different regions really have a different feel. Uh, but my, my goal was to get back to the Northwest. It was a little bit of a, I'd say a difficult journey. And in the middle of law school, uh, a couple things happened. Uh, September 11th uh, was a, a big turning point in my law school journey and also the, the dot-com bust. So, uh, you know, jobs were, were not as plentiful. And I ended up finding the right position in Portland, which 
was a bit different than Washington, but stayed there for 16 years then. So it's a, uh, it's a funny how your life journey goes. Yes, indeed. Um, what, one of the things that you mentioned about NG that I did not appreciate, um, was that it's an international company mm -hmm. and, um, I mean, when folks are in private practice at whatever law firm they're in, especially an American law firm, it's a very, I feel like homogenous experience in the sense that homogenous by way of like, the, the universe is very limited. And, so, mm -hmm. you know, it's American issues and, you know, always dealing with potentially mm -hmm. uh, folks in relatively proximate time zones, but now you may not be. And you may be dealing with folks that have different cultural understandings. And so I'm curious how you build relationships across those dynamics. Yeah, that, that's been uh, a big journey, a learning journey for me. I, my role became global in 2019. I now have teams uh, in, in the US, of course, also in Belgium, in the UK, and just adding APAC right now. Uh, time zones are a challenge. It's very, very common for me to start my day at 5 a.m. Uh, with calls with Europe and uh, UK because I'm I'm on the West Coast. Um, I do I do tend to end a little earlier. I don't just work straight through to you know 7 p.m. because that's that's not uh, that's not a very healthy lifestyle. You really do have to adjust your work schedule around the time zones. Um, and, and you also have to be very aware that there are cultural differences. So I rely on my team members who are either living in different countries or um, are from different countries when I'm thinking about problems or, or particularly about how to communicate. Uh, and, and I'll run past them like, okay, here's this employee communication or you know, a message that I'm thinking about sending out. How does it sound to you? Because sometimes, you know, there's just little words that'll that'll make a difference, and some particular phrasing or word that that sounds like it's neutral to to um, me because it, I just don't pick it up in in the U.S. might sound very different to somebody in another culture, and you need to you need to shift those around or even your your mindset. So I think when you're working uh, on a global level, you have to start with curiosity. You have to realize that you know you're going to be blind to how a lot of your communications or your approaches are perceived and so think in advance and be curious about hey how does this look um, from other places so the the goal is to make sure that you have a message and a way of interacting that has the impact um, you're hoping for and and you know cultural differences if you're not mindful of them can make that more difficult so to put you on the spot, um, is there is there a neutral word that comes to mind? Like, or like, is there recalling maybe discrete things that have happened along the way? Like, uh, you used a neutral word that like, on the other side was like, hmm, someone else might've thought of that differently. Yeah, you know, this isn't exactly on point, but one of the things that I have found uh, a really interesting discussion is uh, gender pronouns. So in, in the US, you know, there's a large movement to, um, to share your pronouns, uh, to support our LGBTQ plus community. I, I have you know, my pronouns on my, on my email signature to support that movement. 
and I, I'm the, the um, executive sponsor for our Pride Employee Network. Uh, when you move into uh, France, which is where we're headquartered, of course, you know, in, in the Romance languages, there are uh, everything has a gender to it. Um, the the gender, uh, uh, you know, if you have a a noun, it'll be masculine or feminine, and and you'll use those those gender um, those those gender pronouns with it. And so, uh, in in France, the discussion around um, personal pronouns uh, is is different as a result of their natural language. Um, set up. So when when we're approaching that conversation internally, you know, having that dialogue about what does that mean in the French language, what does that mean in the French culture has been really rich and, and meaningful and in, in trying to um, you know have our our employee resource group realize that that in in France it's a different piece and in other countries, you know, when we're operating in, in the Middle East or in, in countries that may be downright dangerous um, to, to go into that territory. So creating, creating the awareness for issues like that that are, are much more accepted in the US is, is critical. Um, and it sounds challenging. So like, because um, when you're having those conversations, like say using France as an example, um, um, I guess, how do you create the space so that people can share exactly how they feel or how things um, could be interpreted in a different way without um, it maybe being emotional or um, counterproductive? Yeah, I mean, I think there's uh, a, a few things. So first, if you can start building a, a strong relationship and trust um, in a in a less you know uh, potentially controversial con context, that goes a long way. So I always try to be very mindful of the relationships that I'm building. Um, put time in my calendar just to talk with folks one to one, um, learn about other people, so that you have that strong relationship to start with, uh, and then. You know, again, I think it's that mindset of curiosity to come in with a sharing perspective and say, hey, you know, this is how the, the gender pronoun discussion is going in the US. The, these are, you know, the trends. This is what I personally believe. Just curious, is this a discussion in France? Uh, if so, you know, how is that discussion going or what do you think about it? And so people respond well to curiosity. Uh, I think they they don't respond well when you come in and say, you know, your culture should be this way or you should take this approach. So, you, you know, having that having the trust to begin with and then bring it in, bringing in a a, um, a cur curious mindset and, a, you know, hey, let's exchange. This is my culture. What's yours? It will go a long way. How do you like of your team? Um as it's kind of distributed around different um, parts of the world. Because um, one of the things that shows up in your passions is um, making people feel valued. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, you know, lawyers working for a company um, like that, a kind of a connecting them to value within the company is probably a, a big part of the experience. And so what are some of the ways that you try to make that happen? 
Yeah, I'm actually working with my team on this um, right now. And there's a there's an excellent book. It's called I think it's the five five languages of appreciation in the workplace. It's based on a, on a prior work called the, the you know, five love languages. Mm. Uh, and the, the premise of the book is that different people feel appreciation in different ways. So some people feel appreciated uh, most when you have uh, a written note. Some people want to be recognized um, publicly. Some people, uh, a tangible item of some kind, whether it's a, you know, a, a certificate of accomplishment or a little gift, um, that's when kind of the appreciation locks in for them. So I, I've, I've read that book um, some time ago, and I try to... Um, use different forms to recognize my team members and the uh, the work that they're doing, so that hopefully you know one of the <laughs> I hit one of them. Um, it's hard to know what what uh, people appreciate the most, um, but we we actually just completed. They have a, an assessment of what what is your you know style of wanting appreciation. My whole team just completed that, and we're we're in a process of workshopping it so that we can. Um, so that we can learn how to speak each other's language in, in that way. So I, I find you know, we all need to feel like what we're contributing is appreciated. That's a human psychological thing that, that crosses cultures. Uh, so we just need to make sure that the way that, that we're connecting people, the way that we're appreciating people is, is, what, is, is what's meaning in a way that's meaningful to them. Yeah. Agreed. Um, have you had a chance to look at uh, some of the responses yet of your team? Uh, yes. Yeah, right. I have looked uh, at the the responses. Um, even most for most of my team globally uh, re responds well to kind of um, handwritten notes of appreciation and so forth, which is great. That's that's um, that's also, you know, what I respond the most to. So it's an easier place for for me to to operate from. Uh, but there there are some some differences. It you know it's um, the public recognition is I find really interesting because some people really uh, want to um, you know or it's more meaningful if things are shared within with you know with others in the team. Some people hate that. You know, some people really don't want to be called out in public. So. Uh, you know, trying to watch those those differences is really important. Is there any was there any response from any particular team member that surprised you? You're like, hmm, I thought this person would be. This would be their um, appreciation language when, in yeah. fact, it might have been something different. No, I wouldn't say it was very surprising overall. Yeah. Um, I. I I think it's still good to know because there are it not everybody was the same, but it the the results. I, I work with my team really closely. Um, some of them have been on my team for you know more more than six years, seven years. Uh, so I, I do tend to know quite a bit about them. I try to know every single person. Uh, I don't have, you know my team isn't isn't so large that I can't do that. Uh, but it's important for me to know and then for each other as well. So as they're collaborating together. Yeah, I think that's it. I assume the, all these folks are like none of them are in your in Seattle, correct? 
none of them are in Seattle. Some of them are uh, grouped together in other places. So I have uh, actually a, a good sized team in Spokane, Washington, which is where our US headquarters was, was created. Uh, I have a, a few people in, in London um, and then, then a small team. There's, uh, right now there's four in Brussels. So mm. they're, they're, they're kind of spread out. Yeah, maybe our parting shot for today. Um, do you, you feel like you can uh, develop trusted relationships with depth uh, remotely? I feel like I can. Um, I do think it's easier in person. And uh, so I'm really, I'm starting to travel again. Uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to spending in-person uh, time with my teams. Uh, some, some of the folks I have not been able to see in person since 2019, and it's a long time. Uh, I, I think it goes a long way if you see each other, you know, even a couple times a year in person. Uh, if you ha have that kind of connection, it will sustain a remote relationship much longer uh, than, than it doesn't need to be every day uh, in order to have that connection. It is really nice. I, I miss seeing, you know, I used to work in an office with my whole legal team and we saw each other every day. And personally, I loved that. Um, I, I really enjoyed the environment, but you you can build relationships remotely. And I've actually been on a, on a big experiment with this for the last year and a half. I've been um, really posting actively on, on LinkedIn and, one of my biggest surprises from that has been how many relationships I've built on a global, global basis completely out of social media. I, I have people that I interact with now every single day, you know, some kind of chat or message and occasionally talk on the phone or exchange um, that, are, that are holy creatures of, you know, what I do on social media. Yeah, it's, uh, there's something to that. I, I think I can't, I haven't spent enough time to kind of discern why LinkedIn is different um, than perhaps other platforms, but it does appear to, to me that people engage on that platform differently. Oh yeah. yeah Very differently. There, there's definitely a set of etiquette rules that, that apply in, in the LinkedIn platform. I think because it's so um, professionally based uh, you, you don't, you don't see the kind of negativity. It's very unusual if you see um, uh, negative comment streams or people, you know, arguing a lot. People tend to avoid high conflict uh, topics, and and it's more like uh, a workplace and and how you would respect respectfully interact with your colleagues in a workplace. Uh, that's. That's very different uh, than Twitter, where um, you know being more divisive is is um, kind of part of, of the social media culture. Um, I'm I'm starting to play around with Instagram a little bit, mostly by setting up a page for Scooter, my dog, who's very popular on Instagram. He does quite well in that context, and and I think it's Instagram's a it's a, also a pretty friendly environment, but more um, definitely a lot more visual, um, a bit more personal. Uh, but what, what I think people don't realize on LinkedIn is you have 
you know, the comment streams make no sense if you if you if you just start and you don't understand what's happening because it's a bunch of people who are agreeing with each other. Um, but behind the scenes, when you when you start commenting on other people's posts, the the, the conversation often. Um, is, goes offline and you develop a deeper relationship in the direct messaging, which is more like text and, and you interact a little bit more deeply in, in that format. So it's there's a whole little um, world of it beneath the beneath the postings and the commenting that that you don't necessarily see. Mm. Very insightful um, and so much insight from our time together today. And so I appreciate uh, you sharing a little bit about uh, how the human stuff matters to you, because it's very evident that you know the human experience in the workplace is important to you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I uh, one of the biggest points of satisfaction I have is, is as a leader when I can shape uh, a work environment and a work experience that's that's positive for my team members and, and other employees in the company. If you if you think about it, your know, work is such a big part of our lives. It takes up so much of our time and our mind space. And if you if that's a positive experience, you bring that into the rest of your life. If you have a good work day, you know, you're having dinner with your family at the end of the day, you're happier you're feeling better, it translates into having your, your spouse, your kids be healthier and happier. So it's, I think that the workplace is a really important aspect of our lives that, that we, we should be something we enjoy. Uh, agreed, for sure. Um, thanks again uh, for your time uh, and for caring. Uh, and we look forward to maybe reconnecting again. Uh, but in the meantime, we're, we'll be look, looking forward to sharing this um, episode with other people. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Kevin. It's been a great conversation. We need to recognize that this is possible because of the hard work and support of the well-run media team. They make this easy. And speaking of easy, big thanks to Huga Coworking for access to their studio. And of course, the lawyers who agree to take time out of their busy, busy schedules to be here even though we're sure they have better things to do. So thanks for saying yes.